is Performance Anxiety on the Pantheon Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Mark. David Liebert is our guest. He's got such a wild story to tell that he actually did write a book about it. His career in music began by singing doo-wop with his friends just to be able to hang out and meet girls. But his band, The Happenings, were good. So David went to Tin Pan Alley to convince the industry. He and his partner, Bob Miranda, eventually got jobs writing music for a label run by the Tokens of the Lion Sleeps Tonight fame. They took the job with the stipulation that the Tokens would help the Happenings with their music. Sometime after the band's biggest hit, See You in September, David saw the writing on the wall and left the Happenings, who he was managing, to manage other bands like Rare Earth. His success in that arena led him to working with the legendary Shep Gordon and Alice Cooper. And what a baptism of fire that was. After feeling burnt out, David started his own agency, which ended with David in prison. But it was okay. He started playing in the prison jazz trio. But after prison, David had to start from the ground up again. But he did it, eventually working with George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, Prince, and one of my personal favorites, Living Color. Pick up his book, Rock and Roll Warrior, through Amazon or his website, rockandrollwarrior.com. Follow him on social media to see what he's up to, and follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram. You can help us manage this podcast through merch purchases at performanceanx.threadless.com or with some coffee at ko-fi.com slash performanceanxiety. Now, saddle up for a wild ride with David Liebert on Performance Anxiety, part of the Pantheon Podcast Network. Hi, this is David Liebert here. I'm on Performance Anxiety with Mark Shea. And what am I doing here? I'm hawking my new book, Rock and Roll Warrior, my misadventures with Alice Cooper, Prince, George Clinton. Uh, who else is on there? The Living Color, The Runaways, The Happenings, Brian Auger, and more. Am I uh, right side up or am yes. I sideways? <laughs> no, you're right side up now. <laughs> Never know until... Uh... All right, let me uh, adjust my screen and... Hey, I think I'm ready to rock and roll. All right, perfect. Well, let's let's jump right into it since we're a little limited on time, but I'll be able to keep track of it. So you've got the new book out, Rock and Roll Warrior, and I have really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed reading it because it's it's a very fun read. It's a very easy read, and it's not like a typical tell-all book or hit piece or anything like that. It's very, it's almost documentary in, in, in a fashion. I'm glad to hear you say that. I, uh, I didn't want to, I didn't want to write a salacious tell all balls and tits flying all over the place. Uh, yeah. I really didn't want to write that kind of book. I mean, there's a little bit of it in, in the book. I mean, it's rock and roll, but right. I really wanted it to be informative, uh, to people that were interested in what happened behind the scenes. And, uh, I wanted it to be uh, introspective as far as my life is concerned. I wanted it to be funny and I wanted it to have a certain flow. So that was my objective. And um, hopefully I have I accomplished that objective. It, to me, you have, it's a very, it's a wonderful read. It's it, it, like I said, it's, it's a very easy read. It's it just, everything just flows so nicely and everything. It's such an interesting story. And I want to find out how you got into music in the first place. I mean, I know through reading the book that, you know, you took piano lessons early and uh, was there a lot of musical encouragement in the house? 
my father, who was a lawyer by trade, played the violin, and he could play the melodies of any song he was familiar with. He could play by ear. Wow. And uh, my parents um, soon recognized that I had that same uh, particular talent. So they didn't pressure me, but they lightly encouraged me that I should perhaps take piano lessons. It sounded like a good idea at the time. Although there was one stipulation, uh, if I agreed to take the piano lessons, I couldn't quit until they said so. Oh. <laughs> agreed. And uh, that went on for about eight years until my father had uh, passed away. And, uh, my, you know, I was able to stand up to my mother. After eight years of piano lessons, I had had it. It had turned into a, um, I had to practice two hours a day while my oh. friend were out playing, you know, basketball and having fun. And I was tethered to a piano. I, I simply had had enough. And, oh. But after eight years, the damage, so to speak, had been done. And uh, it turned out to be the um, the education that allowed me to have a career in music. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain here. You caught me just finishing up some editing on Getting Real with John and Beth. I want to share my first experience with Factor Meals for you. I think you'll find this interesting because I bet the same thing happens to you. I had just received my first shipment from Factor Meals the other day, and I was excited to try one of the prepared restaurant-quality meals for myself. Anyway, I was working away and noticed it was very late and it was my night to make dinner. I jumped up and headed to the kitchen, went to grab the ingredients for the dish I was going to make, and realized I was missing a prime ingredient. Well, I could make a run to the store, or I could make one of my new factor meals. <laughs> Actually, the choice was easy. I grabbed a cavatappi, an Italian-style pork ragu with garlic broccoli, heated the oven per instructions, and minutes later was enjoying a very delicious, nutritious, and dietitian approved meal. It really was everything Factor Meals said it would be. No prep, no mess meals. Factor Meals are 100% ready to heat and eat. Take it from me and head to factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. That's factormeals.com slash pantheon50 and use the code pantheon50 to get 50% off. Hey guys, I want to talk to you about socks for a second. Why not? It's a music podcast. But I tried a pair of socks from Boldfoot and loved them. I've only worn them once because my kids have stolen them. So in my household, that's the best endorsement I can give. And I guess it's fitting because the design I chose was Jailbait. Wait, Jailbird. The design I chose was Jailbird. I might keep that in. The socks are 100% American made and 5% of all proceeds go to veteran charities. It makes sense, seeing that Boldfoot is a family and veteran-owned company. They have a huge variety of styles. So check out boldfoot.com and buy some of the best socks you've ever slapped on your feet. And help veterans while you're at it. That's boldfoot.com. So uh, I was around, you know, music all the time, the, uh, playing the piano for all those years. So, And I gravitated back to it after uh, stopping the piano lessons with uh, guys in Patterson, New Jersey, where I, where I grew up, who liked to, uh, to harmonize. We used to listen to doo-wop bands all the time, oh, the, yeah. the Oblo, 
the jesters, the paragons, and used to hang out on street corners, and uh, we called it chirping. We used to chirp, and uh, we liked it because we liked how it sounded, and it was a good way to meet girls. That was the main motivation, really. When did singing start happening for you? I mean, was that during the piano lessons? No, this was long afterwards. Well, I mean, uh, when, did, a, when did you start singing? Was it was it just to hang out with these guys, or was it earlier? Yeah, that's really what it was. Okay. And, and but we started to realize, hey, you know what? We harmonize as well, if not better, than almost all of these uh, groups that we heard on the radio. Maybe oh, we should take a more serious look at this. So uh, I started hitting the streets of Tin Pan Alley, which is an area in. Uh, in Manhattan on Broadway, where uh, an area where there's several buildings that house various uh, music companies, music publishers or record companies, production companies, booking agencies. Yeah. If I walked into the office of a publishing company, I was a songwriter. If it was a record company, I was in a band. Production company, I was in a singing group. Uh, until one day I walked into the offices of a company called Bright Tunes Productions that was owned by a um, other a singing group called the Tokens. And oh, they had yeah. a couple they had a couple of enormous hits at that time. The Lion Sleeps Tonight. Yes. Um, Tonight I Fell in Love. And they were also producers. They produced the Chiffons. He's so fine, fine, one fine day. And they offered me and my writing partner, Bobby Miranda, who was the lead singer of our little group, okay. a job writing songs for their publishing company. And they gave us a little office with a piano in it. And, uh, nice. uh, you know, uh, it was the opportunity for us to uh, get into the business. That was our first big break. And then they decided to use a song that Bobby and I had written to be on the the album, one of the Chiffon's albums that they were producing. It's something I just cannot hide. Down, 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 my love went down, 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 down to the ground, ground, ground. I don't know why, but try not to cry. This was a huge thing for us. You know, I mean, they own publishing, but uh, here we were with a song on uh, on an album of this uh, big uh, hit group, the Chiffons. And uh, if that weren't enough, one of the songs that Bobby had written, one of the few songs he had written on his own, caught the eye of the producer of Jerry and the Pacemakers, this English group, and they decided to have it released as their uh, single off their new album. And this was um, almost beyond belief because it turns out that the producer of Jerry and the Pacemakers was George Martin, who also (laughs) produced the Beatles. Man. That was that That's, was just almost beyond imagination for mind us. Mind blowing for you guys. Yeah, yeah. So we started to be looked upon as you know up and coming songwriters. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that uh, one of the things that the the uh, tokens had agreed to when we took that job 
for $25 a week each, by the way, <laughs> was that they would produce The Happenings, the group that Bobby and I were in. And that eventually led to uh, uh, them uh, recording us uh, singing Sing in September, and I Got Rhythm, and they ended up uh, producing a bunch of hits with us. I'll be alone each and every night While you're away, don't forget to write September almost didn't happen, right? And and was all this after cause you had joined the Air Force at one point? So was this af- all after your time in the Air Force? No, this was prior to. Oh, okay. I, I you know I sort of when I was hanging out on the street corner singing doo-wop with my friends, I was about thirteen or fourteen years old. Okay, maybe maybe a little bit older, fifteen, sixteen. By the time I got to the tokens, I was more like 22 years old, maybe 23. So it was during in between that period of time that I had uh, joined the Air Force because my life was going nowhere. My mother said, "Eh," you know, get a job, go to college or join the Air Force. And it sounded like the lesser of three evils, because (laughs) uh, if I wasn't going to college, there was... uh, the draft then, you couldn't avoid military service like right. you can today. And I thought it would, sh- you know, shake up my life. And I felt my life needed a bit of shaking up. And, uh, yeah, it shook up my life all right. <laughs> I'll bet. Oh, my gosh. You ended up kind of, I guess, cutting ties with the happenings and going more into the behind-the-scenes work, the, the tour managing, being you know, agent, booking agent. Was it... Uh, just a, a difference of opinion on where the group wanted to go or was there something more? Uh, it was, it was that it was a couple of things. Uh, we had gotten rid of our manager pretty early in the game and uh, we were managing ourselves. And basically I was doing the managing. I, I assumed 99% of the responsibilities of, of uh, managing uh, the happening. So I started to, learned about that end of the business, dealing with record companies and booking agents and concert promoters and PR firms. And uh, when I started having creative differences with the rest of the happening, they wanted to continue to be a nightclub act and play colleges. They thought they could do that uh, for the next 25 years. But everything was changing at that time. It was like late 60s. FM radio, which was basically an unlistened to radio frequency band, all of a sudden, almost out of the clear blue sky, became the uh, the primary radio for these new burgeoning groups that were sort of AM unfriendly. Right. And were recording albums, uh, not so much singles at the time. Everything was changing. Yeah. And I wanted the happenings to apply what they did best, which was their harmony techniques, to new, uh, more contemporary uh, musical structures, like Crosby, Stills, and Nash was doing at that particular time. Okay. And the rest of the happenings uh, didn't really see it that way. So I started thinking, you know, I've been managing the happenings. I'm sort of learning a new trade. 
I like the music business. Maybe I can manage other bands or, you know, uh, do other things. I was pretty sure, uh, Mark, that I couldn't be a happening forever. Right. <laughs> so it was really what prompted the transition from one side of the mic to the other. Well, it worked out because, you know, the ha- like you say, if the happenings wanted to go that route, that would that was a dead end. It was as far as I was concerned, yeah. So at that point, you started managing other bands. Is that Was Rare Earth the first band that you started working with after The Happenings? Well, I did a couple of things after I left The Happenings. I worked for a management company in New York. Uh, this company managed Johnny Maestro oh, and the... And the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Bridge. Bridge. Yeah. They managed the stair steps. You know that one? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I gained some experience there. And then I became the house booker uh, for this club in Long Island. And uh, then I uh, started managing a guy named Exuma the Obia Man, this Bahamian. uh, (laughs) It was pretty wild. (laughs) I talk about that in the book as well. And then I got a job as road manager for Rare Earth. And that was a great gig. I loved it. I loved the guys. They were really good. And it was a nice, cushy job. And and then one day I got a call from Johnny Podell, who was the booking agent for Alice Cooper. And Johnny was a good friend of mine. Our girlfriends were like buddies. Okay. And uh, the Alice Cooper band was looking for a new tour manager. Would I be interested? And I knew a bit about Alice Cooper because being friends with Johnny sort of kept me uh, up to uh, snuff about what was happening with the latest bands. And uh, so I got hired. I remember the first gig with Alice Cooper was in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, my first impression of it all was a bunch of 30 some odd insane looking crazy guys (laughs) crawling all over the gear and equipment like giant insects. Mark, I thought I made the biggest mistake of my life. Oh, no. Nice, cushy job with Rare Earth for this insanity. And uh, Chef Gordon, uh, Alice Cooper's manager, said, uh, look, just, uh, you know, observe, um, watch what's going on. You'll get the hang of it. And he was right. After a few days, things sort of started to fall into place. And uh, by the end of the week, I did have a a pretty decent handle on what was going on. And it turned out to be um, the job of the century. I mean, it was a great job. I ended up traveling all over the world with one of the biggest bands in the world. And uh, that was the uh, early seventies then 72. I got hired in the beginning of 72. Okay. That's quite the tour to, to break in with Alice Cooper on. That's right. That's pretty intense. This this was uh, uh, their most formidable years. And uh, it it was a great job. I love these guys. And, And, you know, Alice Cooper was really the first band that carried their own production, sound, lights, staging, Uh, props and all kinds of effects. Uh, And uh, so basically my job was to make all of that become a well-oiled machine and run smoothly and efficiently and uh, make it as easy and as fun for everybody on the road as I possibly could. That was my job. How's that for a job? That's amazing. And it's just, it's funny as a quick aside, you mentioned Johnny Padel and I heard the very first time I heard that was actually a song written about him. And I've always wondered about that guy ever since the mid 90s. Guy named Francis Dunnery wrote a song called the Johnny Padell song. Johnny, 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 Johnny. 
Johnny Fidel got a magician up his sleeve. Stealth bomber timing and an overdub's voice. Good choice in restaurants and good value for money. Handing out love and respect like it was some sort of candy. And I love him, oh I love him. Cause he reminds me so much of me. That's self-obsession for you. And it's an amazing really? story. I'm not aware of this. Oh, I'll have to I'll send it to you. I'll, yeah, I'll... yeah. Oh, I'd love that. Johnny never mentioned anything like that to me. Let me tell you something about Johnny Padel. He may be one of the most charismatic human beings on the face of the earth. Oh, man. Johnny Padel was probably the best agent that there ever was and still is. I could be hanging out in a room in, in later years with with the likes of Mick Jagger and uh, Rod Stewart and uh, I'm trying to think of uh, some of the people that uh, uh, um, Jimmy Page, all in the same room at the same time. And Johnny Fidel would be the absolute undisputed center of attention. Everybody wanted to hang out with Johnny. He uh, he looked as much a rock star as these people did, and uh, he never took his sunglasses off from his hands. Listen, if you were a rock superstar in New York, I mean, I remember uh, uh, Johnny getting calls in the middle of the night from these people, famous people, begging him to come out and play with them. If you were a rock star in New York and you had some free time on your hands, you call Johnny Podell. Oh. Yeah. So we'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Hey, Pantheon listeners, Christian Swain again with something every podcast listener and music junkie needs to hear. As I'm sure you can guess, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I also listen to a lot of music, so having high-quality headphones and earbuds are absolutely critical to my day. Oh, and I have numerous pairs. In fact, I have a junk drawer of used devices that have bitten the dust, so I've tried them all. Recently, I was sent a pair of earbuds by Raycon, and the first thing I noticed was the cost. Uh, Looks like their products are about half the price of other premium brands. Okay, that's cool. And the reviews seem pretty stellar. Okay, checks that box. So I got my Raycon Everyday Earbuds, a nice packaging to open, and what I immediately noticed were the pack of ear tips for sizing. Uh, I'll tell you, I have small ear canals. Uh, I know, a flaw. So to see choices for the best fit, uh, especially while exercising, oh yeah. And yes, they were immediately comfortable. Sound quality was great too. Plus I have three EQ options that I love because I like more bass in my music and less in the podcasts. Eight hours of playtime for the battery is great as well. Surround sound, noise canceling, and awareness mode all included. I think I'm in business and I just realized I've had them in all day. Like I said, super comfortable. Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Have you ever thought about CBD and wondered if it's the right choice for you? My wife and I did. For a few years now, she suffered from some chronic pain, and we had discussed trying CBD, but didn't have any idea where or even how to get started. That's why we chose Pure Spectrum. 
They make the highest quality hemp-derived products and back it up by providing third-party lab tests for every single batch of products right on their website. For my wife, we started with some tincture and isolate, but there's also gummies, topicals, mints, and a lot more. Pure Spectrum not only has CBD products for wellness, they also have CBD for fitness and recovery, and there's even CBD for your pets. And if you're like me and not sure how to start, there's a ton of information on the website and chat options available. So go to PureSpectrumCBD.com to do your own research, and when you check out, use the code PERFORMANCEANX for 15% off your order. Check them out on Instagram at Pure Spectrum Hemp and subscribe to their email list for sales, new products, and updates. Pure Spectrum, refined phytocannabinoid wellness products for all lifestyles. All right, so back back to you because this 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 was about you. Um, as fascinating as Johnny is, but you also <laughs> after the Alice gig, you ended up taking a management job with somebody who's. In what I imagine as a 180 degrees from Alice with uh, George Clinton, that had to oh, yeah. be in, yeah. just a complete shock as far as organization and, and everything else. Was, was that a, was it a tough transition to make? No, um, it was, uh, it was an easy decision. So when I finally, you know, after every Alice Cooper tour, I used to, I would quit and Shep Gordon would bribe me back with more salary increases and more bonuses to stay. And he would bribe me back uh, for with each tour. I was getting burned out. I mean, every time a tour ended, I felt that there, a few years had been subtracted from the end of my life. I wanted to... Oh, finally, after four years, there simply wasn't enough money that he could bribe me with to keep me from leaving. That's how I left Alice Cooper, and, and it was a little bit contentious, too, because oh. I think that Chef felt I was leaving him in the lurch. But Chef Gordon is the world's greatest rock and roll mentor. 99% of what I learned from the music business, I learned from Chef Gordon. And it was just time for me, I felt, to apply this knowledge and experience to other endeavors uh, in the music industry on my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I quit and uh, started looking for a, a, a job. I went to record companies, concert promoters, uh, booking agencies. Nobody would give me a job. Really? Nobody. I don't know if it was they thought I was perceived as being difficult or I did a bad interview. Whatever it was, I couldn't give myself away. Wow. Well, actually, that's not quite true. <laughs> Uh, in the end, I could give myself away, and that's exactly what I did. If you recall, I mentioned that I was the road manager for Rare Earth. Their manager, Ron Strasner, and his new partner, Charlie Vaseline, were managing George Clinton, Parliament Funkadelic, uh, Bootsy's Rubber Band, and all the associated funk mob uh, acts that uh, that George was uh, George Clinton was dealing with. They offered me jobs, but they said, David... Uh, We'd love to have you work with us, but we're broke. We can't pay you anything right now. But uh, we got some stuff here that really looks like it's going to it's going to be big time. So if you'll hang in there with us, we'd love to have you aboard. And uh, did my due diligence and did my research, and I realized that this all of this 
funk stuff was on the brink of just exploding. So I took the job. Okay. That led to um, me opening up an agency, first booking uh, Boosie's Rubber Band. And since they were the opening act for every George Clinton show, I knew I'd be able to make a living even at the very beginning. And then I built the agency. I added uh, uh, the Runaways, Evelyn Champagne King, oh, yeah. the Dead Boys. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, <laughs> and eventually, um, Parliament Funkadelic and, and George Clinton himself. Uh, wow. uh, so that became uh, the David Liebert agency became a real uh, a real agency, and uh, I had quite a run uh, with uh, with George and all these other people. It was it was great. You know, some people say, "How can you do Alice Cooper and then do George Clinton?" And now you just ruin the Dead Boys. It's yeah. all applicable to all of these bands. It's the same infrastructure. And uh, if the music is good, it's good. And uh, if people want to see it, they'll want to see it. And all of the things that I learned uh, over the years was applicable to ev every band that I was ever involved with. Yeah, there may be a, a slight edge of something going, you know, this way instead of that way, because nobody's exactly the same. Yeah. But it pretty much worked for everybody. One of the things that I found fascinating about the book was your openness about everything, including some mistakes, like ending up in prison. I mean, not everybody would be open to talking about that, and, and you're very open about it. It's, it, it's really incredible. It's, it's, an, it's a wild story, and we don't have to give everything away, but did your time in, in music help you out at all while you were spending time in prison? Well, I did play bass in the jazz trio. That was kind of, you know, listen, in life, for most people, there are there are ups and there are downs. For sure. And um, going to prison certainly was a down. I, of course, tried to make the best of it. I, I was there. I wasn't going anywhere. It was a chapter in my life. And if it, I was going to write a book about my life, then this should be a chapter in my book as well. I mean, if I skirted the issue completely, it really wouldn't be an honest rendition of what my life was like. And uh, quite frankly, when I got out of prison, somehow or other, I got it all back anyway. And yeah. uh, as I'm talking to you, somehow or other, I'm almost 80 years old. I landed on my feet. Maybe it was a dumb luck, grace of God, who knows? But uh I did. I landed on my feet. I'm enjoying a life of leisure with my uh, girlfriend out here in the Southern California desert near Joshua Tree, living with our our three rescue dogs. We've become animal rights activists. Wow. Uh, that makes any sense. Yeah. Probably not. <laughs> How difficult was it to, to work your way back into the, the music industry after you were able to get out of prison? Was it difficult or was, you know, was it like... I don't know, badge of honor. I mean, how, did, how tough was it? Not a badge of honor. It was sort of a, a humbling type of thing. Yeah. Uh, when I got out, I started to work as a, um, as a handyman. Uh, a lot of my friends were sort of blue collar guys. And uh, sometimes I would help them out. They were construction. Uh, they did construction or elect electrical plumbing. And incidentally, I hired a lot of those guys on for Alice Cooper when I was the road manager because I knew that they would really do a great job. That's awesome. So 
I knew sort of the rudimentary skills of those kinds of blue collar trades. So I became a handyman, uh, ran an ad in the, uh, the local recycler newspaper, as they called it. Right. And uh, somehow or other, I sort of edged my way back into, uh, into the music business. I, one of my friends, attorney Alan Oaken, was uh, working at A&M Records as the uh, director of artist relations. And um, we decided, let's open a management company. Let's see what happens. And we were sort of looking at groups at the time. And, and from that, Available Entertainment, which is our company, which still exists today, we started uh, handling bands and uh, ended up managing uh, George Clinton after uh, <laughs> not being with him for a dozen years wow. or so. And then we added uh, other people like uh, uh, Living Color, one of the greatest live bands that ever existed. Yes, I have, I have wanted to ask you about that. I, I know a lot of people want to find out about the Guns N' Roses story, which yeah. you know we can tease it a little bit, but let's, we can leave that one for the book because that's a great story, uh, working with yeah. Prince. What I was fascinated about was working with Living Color because they're one of my favorite bands. How did you end up working with them? I got a call one day from... I was also... Uh, I was managing... Um, the name of the band, uh, a band, and they said you should call this. Uh, you should call this guy Will Calhoun. He's the drummer of the uh, uh, of Living Color. They're kicking around the idea of getting back together again. Okay. So I gave Will a call, and, and by the way, Will and I are, are like best friends today. Oh, that's awesome. And I said, why don't I put a tour together on the West Coast, and uh, it'll be sort of a litmus test to see if they're still interested in the band, because they had broken up like a dozen years earlier. Nobody really knew. Okay, but so I this had was a, the, a band so, this good. They don't just fade away into oblivion. No, so this was like and, Kaleidoscope uh, era then. Yeah. Okay. It, it, uh, oh, I know what it was. It was uh, one of the people from Mother's Finest told me to call Will Calhoun. Oh, okay. I had been managing Mother's Finest at that time as well. Okay. Uh, so I put a tour together, a little 10-day tour, West Coast tour together, and they virtually sold out every show. So, wow. yeah, we knew they were back and they were going to be. And then uh, uh, besides uh, Living Color, I started managing uh, Vanilla Fudge. Uh, wow. That was pretty amazing. And uh, Brian Auger. I don't know if you know who he yes. is. Yes. Hammond. A great B3 English player. And uh, several other people, and uh, some started our own record company, Cabana Boy Records, and uh, wow. somehow or other, we were back in business. Oh, and uh, and then uh, oh, I think I mentioned it. Uh, we ended up managing George Clinton and Bootsy's Rubber Band as well. Yeah. So it all kind of came around. It's full circle. Uh, <laughs> we were cooking. Oh, that is awesome, and and you ended up working with Prince for a while. At one point, so that, how did you get the, the hooked up with Prince? I was managing Sheila E. Okay. Uh, and um, she was, of course, produced by uh, uh, by uh, Prince himself. And she was the support act for the Purple Rain tour. Right. I, Cavallo, Ruffalo, and Fernoli were the managers of Prince. And they were also managing Sheila E. And Prince went to them one day and said, you know, find someone to manage Sheila E because you guys 
aren't going to have time to manage or you're going to be too busy managing me. <laughs> so they, uh, uh, Steve Fernoli reached out for me. Uh, Steve and I were, were sort of friendly because uh, I got him a membership into uh, El Provado, which was a, a very uh, hotsy-totsy club in L.A., ah. which, by the way, was owned by Alice Cooper and Shep Gordon. So I was able to nice. use my influence to get him a membership here. He didn't forget. And uh, so they hired me to manage Sh- Sheila E. And I got, you know, very much involved I was on the Purple Rain tour for most of the dates with her and got to know Prince. And uh, uh, that's all in the book, too. It was rather interesting because Prince can be pretty brutal with people. You know, I've heard where Alice Cooper ruled out of love. Prince ruled out of fear. Maybe it was because he's rather diminutive in stature. He's only about five foot two, but uh, he was rough on everybody. But he was very nice to me. Um, it could be because um, I was older than most people in his uh, circle. Uh, and uh, he knew of my association with uh, George Clinton, someone that he absolutely idolized. Right. So uh, I think my I think they simply didn't want to come off like a jerk to me. I'm amazed that Prince would even care what I thought about right. him, but apparently he did. <laughs> that is incredible. I mean, the book is so great. Like, there's so we we just barely scratched the surface on a few of these stories, and it's just packed with 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 amazing stories. To me, it kind of sounds like most of your career has been a mixture of networking and good timing and treating people right. Yeah, I I um. Listen, I, I sort of led a charmed life with all the ups and downs and everything, and uh, I uh, I never really thought about writing a book, but a lot of people said to me, you know, you really should write a book. Uh, you've done a lot of things, and you got some great stories. I never really thought very much about it until my girlfriend, Angie, says, you know something? They're right. You should write a book. I said, you, you think? And she says, listen, you got a story to tell. Tell it. I think people would be interested in, and uh, that was really the uh, the impetus to get me to, because it's an overwhelming uh, endeavor. I never realized what it took to write a book. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, it's incredible, and, and your stories are it, there's so many of them. It it's almost unbelievable that it's all one person. Where is the best way that, that, that people can find the book? They can buy it and f- maybe follow follow you on, on social media and see what's going on? You can buy it wherever books are, are uh, sold. Amazon is probably the easiest place mm-hmm. uh, to buy the book. And uh, if you want a, a, an auto, a autographed copy signed by me, uh, you can go to rockandrollwarrior.com. And I'll I'll sign a copy for you and get it out to you. Rockandrollwarrior.com. Oh, that's awesome. Are you, are you on social media at all? Is there any, are they promoting? Yeah, I'm on Facebook, Instagram. There's a Rock and Roll Warrior uh, Facebook page. Oh, uh, available entertainment Facebook page. Um, my girlfriend Angie is is a uh, a social media guru, so she handles all the. Uh, the social media stuff. So oh, that's awesome. She, so yeah, I'm, I have a pretty good presence on uh, on social media. It also gives me a chance to uh, promote my uh, 
my um, animal rescue uh, creative juices where I, every few days I'll put up a dog that's in need of uh, uh, adoption or fostering and uh, is that know, the same website and, and social media channels or is that something different yeah same website okay and, perfect uh, you know hey say what you will about uh, Facebook Instagram Twitter and, and their ilk it has drastically reduced uh, the euthanasia rate of, of dogs and uh, cats so from that point of view it, it's just been it's been incredible so I I try to utilize uh, social media, for, I not just for, but also for that as well. We have two rescue dogs that we found online as well. You know, they're uh, well. Then you know that the joy that dogs can bring into your life oh, yeah. is immeasurable. Yes, it, it, dogs are the best of things this world has to offer, especially these days. Yeah, and for that reason alone, they deserve all the the goodness and love we can give them and there's something special about a rescue i don't i don't know what it is there's just something special about they're a grateful yeah i think they're right. grateful they know they know yeah i think so well, know, they wake up in the morning and they check do you still love me yeah, <laughs> oh do. you do great yeah <laughs> awesome david well, thank you Thank you so much for spending time. Unfortunately, I just don't have enough any more time. I would love to keep going, but I am just about out. So, I hey, wanna... Mark, thank this, you. This has been fun. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. <laughs>